Hello and welcome to Infinite Possibilities Abound. I'm your host, Debbie Wazner. The first topic for today is something known as the Daffodil Principle. This principle is based on a garden that was planted starting in 1958 in Running Spring, California. Private homeowner, over the course of her entire life, has planted over one million daffodil bulbs in a variety of species in the San Bernardino Mountains. People flocked for years to come and see this glorious sight in the spring. These daffodils bloom for over six weeks because the different species, some bloom early, some mid-season, and some later. Over 500 different kinds of daffodils were planted on five acres. So one day, this woman, Jean, had an idea and, and a plan, and she started planting daffodils one at a time. And the garden was open to the public through 2009. And at that time, as I said earlier, she'd planted over one million daffodil bulbs. Some of the bulbs that were planted in 1958 are still blooming. There's been no artificial watering, fertilizer. The bulbs have never been dug up, thinned, or divided. Her husband was responsible for building the paths and deadheading the daffodils. The principle here is to move forward. Move towards your goals and dreams one step at a time, even little baby steps. When you take daily effort and the accumulation of time, one can produce magnificent results, like five acres of beautiful daffodils. In a similar story I read several years back, 2018-2019, a man in India was disappointed with the deforestation that was taking place. So he quit his job and began planting trees in an area that had very few. This forest is now 300 acres big with over 250 species of plants, a variety of animals, insects, and birds that hadn't been seen in years now live in this forest. A group of like-minded friends and associates have joined him and are growing the forest even larger. Both of these people took daily effort and time to grow magnificent, beautiful things. And we can all follow this principle. So what could you start today that over time will grow into something magnificent? One can start small and move on and move forward. The next subject is going to be about thinking again, about your thoughts. Are you in charge of your thoughts? Research has been done that shows from birth until about age six or seven, the human child has very little conscious thought. Children, which includes you and me at some point, We're busy absorbing information like like a sponge absorbs water. You absorbed and soaked up everything that was around you. This includes good things like love, smiles, laughter, music, hugs, food, people. Unfortunately, there is no on-off switch, which means that you also soaked up the not-so-good things. 
like yelling, screaming, shouting, slamming doors, being told, don't, no, stop, more than I love you. Withdrawal of parental approval and love may have happened. There could have been competition for parents' attention, criticism that you never do anything correctly, and a lack of anything and everything. So that's the foundation for your life, what happens up until you're six or seven. Most parents mean well. I think parents generally treat their children the same way they were treated. The first way kids learn is by imitation of those around them. That's why phrases like father, like son, and like mother, like daughter hold some amount of truth. The other way you and I learned as kids includes moving from pain to pleasure, which is Freud's pleasure principle, or moving from discomfort to comfort. Much of what we carry around as adults is based off these early childhood memories and events. Most of us incorporate into our adult lives all the negative items that we were told or felt. You may feel like your parents or guardians didn't love you, withheld love and praise, and you still deal with those thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Because of that, you and I may have hundreds of negative programs and scripts running in our subconscious. You may suffer from feelings of not being good enough, a lack of emotional connections, that I can't do anything, I fail at everything, nobody will support me or my ideas, and competing with others for attention, good or bad. These negative programs or scripts are running your life. They affect how you feel about yourself, your interaction with others, how you view success and failure. They affect your health and they can affect your finances. Having a few of these thoughts, programs, or scripts running is not a big deal. Having many of these thoughts, scripts, and programs can be detrimental to your life. So the question becomes is, do you have ants, automatic negative thoughts that are running your life? Besides the ants, you might have termites too. Thoughts, emotions, running, malevolent internal scripts earns sadness. Having these ants or termites can leave you feeling empty and stressed. You're living in an ocean of emotion and negative feelings. You may feel like you're surrounded by hungry sharks that could keep moving closer and closer until one grabs you by the leg and begins to pull you down under the water. Your heart pounds in your chest as you furiously kick yourself free and return to the surface and gulp down life-giving air. I've had these feelings, these thoughts. I've had negative scripts running. And it makes you feel helpless, like, what, what am I going to do? But there are choices. The number one thing you need to do is become aware of your thoughts. Tune in to the negative programs and scripts. You can't change what you don't know or recognize. Once you know it and recognize it, you can begin to break down your thinking pattern, responses, and behavior. Second, Choose a different path, make different choices. Right now you might be running, you're running on automatic. You have established neural pathways. Choosing a different path and different choices builds new neural pathways. We lift weights to build new muscle, which also builds new neural pathways. Third, you can rewrite or even delete negative scripts and programs. With a stroke of a pen and some repetition, you'll be building new neural pathways. 
And the more you use those neural pathways, those negative neural pathways will disappear because they aren't being used. Fourth is to write some affirmations and repeat them as needed throughout the day. And step five is to take action, which is a really a combination of steps one through four. Here's a quote from Dale Carnegie. Happiness doesn't depend on who you are or what you have. It depends solely on what you think. Now the next topic is related to science, but has an impact on how daily life. Epigenetics is the study of the biological mechanisms that switch genes on and off. The Greek prefix epi means over, outside of, or around. Epigenetics refers to features that are on top of or in addition to traditional genetic basis for inheritance. So it was this nature versus nurture when in actuality it is both. Your genes are important but so are your behaviors and the environment. Epigenetics is the study of how your behaviors and the environment can cause changes to the way your genes work. Epigenetic changes are reversible and do not change your DNA sequence, but can change how your body reads the DNA sequence. Epigenetics is everywhere. It's what you eat, where you live, when you go to sleep, how much exercise you get, who and how you interact with, and even aging. All of these things can cause chemical modifications around your genes. These modifications could cause these genes to either turn on or off over time. These changes can show us the differences in people who love mushrooms to those who hate the taste of mushrooms or eggplants or cilantro. I can't stand the taste of cilantro, and yet it's very popular. To me, it tastes like soap. So epigenetics is reversible. So by changing what you eat or how much exercise you get or how much sleep you get, you can turn on and off certain genes, which could influence the length of your life and how healthy you are. The epigenetics of your body changes as you age in response to your behavior and environment. Epigenetics starts before you're even born. All your cells have the same genes, but look and act differently. As you grow and develop, epigenetics helps determine the function of a cell will have, whether it will become a heart cell, a nerve cell, or a skin cell. So most of what goes on in the body is up to you. The lifestyle that you have, what you eat, sleep, exercise, can impact how you feel. So you can be the director or the writer or the producer of much of your epigenetic features. Your choices and actions are part of the epigenetics system, and they are under your control. And I do find epigenetics to be a fascinating topic, and I hope you enjoyed this little segment. I have two quotes, and they're on the similar subject. From Immanuel Kant, one of the best and purest joys is having a rest after labor. From Marcus Aurelius, work all the time. Do not think that work is a disaster for you, 
and do not seek praise or reward for your work. I think work is beneficial for everyone. Even if you have a lot of money, I think work occupies both the mind and the body. Work gives us this feeling, this sense of being connected to something larger than oneself. Then there is our self-esteem, where we get some sort of recognition for our achievements, contributions, and our expertise. And research shows when you have no work that both physical and mental health are affected negatively. Work also allows and develops cooperation and collaboration and a sense of social connectedness. One of the most obvious things about work is it will help provide funds for your lifestyle, but it can also provide opportunities for friendship as well as challenging you on an intellectual level. And it also helps us to better understand ourselves, other people, and possibly the world around us. So work is vital, at least from my viewpoint. So what do you think? Is work important to you? So do you have a list of the dumbest things that you've ever done? Well, I don't know about a list, but I do have one that just, I shake my head at myself every time. It was winter. We'd had a big snow, maybe eight to 10 inches. I'd been over to my mom's house on a Friday night and I was coming home. I was sitting at a stop sign and I was somewhat catty corner to the location of my house. I had the outside lights on and it I thought I saw somebody standing by one of my tall shrubs. I was waiting on the traffic to to clear so that I could cross the street and get into my driveway. I looked down and then I looked back up and the figure was gone. And I thought, oh, you just imagined that there wasn't anybody there. The traffic cleared. I was able to get onto onto the road and turned into my driveway. I pushed the button on the garage door opener and as I past the window in the kitchen, I saw somebody, a man, standing inside my house. I pulled the car into the garage, got out, shut the garage door, and I, for some reason, I was just fuming that there was somebody inside my house. I didn't think about the danger or anything that could go wrong. I walked into my house shouting, who the heck are you? Get the heck out of my house. Get out now. And this man came running by me and exited the house. I called my neighbor to alert her to this person, called the police, and waited for about five minutes, and the police arrived. And I explained what had happened. And the policeman just looked at me, and he goes, you know that was the wrong thing to do, don't you? And I said, well, now I do, but I wasn't thinking at the time. Because we had had eight to ten inches of snow, The officer attempted to follow his tracks, but he he lost him. He didn't find him. But that was one of the stupidest things I ever did, is to burst into my house while somebody else was in here trying to rob me. Fortunately, it turned out fine for me. I was perfectly fine, and it interrupted the robbery. The only thing that he got away with was the remote for the cable box. And the next day, I went to the cable store and got a new remote. But that's probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done. How about you? Do you have some dumb thing you've done? Let's talk about the steps to good health. 
what good health can mean to you may be different than what it means to me. Being able to move freely with little to no pain, being able to be physically active and do the things that I want, basically to have no limitations except those I place upon myself. From my viewpoint, there are seven steps to good health, and today I'm going to cover three of those steps. First is nutrition. You are what you eat. If you eat junk, then you're going to feel not so good. You may feel terrible. So it's about finding a balance of foods that you can digest, assimilate, and make you feel good, and that cause you no pain. I have friends and family who suffer from a number of food-based intolerances. One family member has a problem with fats, and so he watches what he eats. I have friends who have problems with gluten and others who have problems with dairy. So if you think you have a problem with a certain type of food, what you do is eliminate it from your diet and see how you feel for several weeks and then add it back and see what happens. If your pain, swelling, or inflammation come back, then you want to eliminate that food from your diet. There is no one diet for every person. There's a lot of misinformation. And finding what works for you is really trial and error. A balanced diet is essential for good health. So that means you want to include a, a good mixture of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and proteins. Generally speaking, raw food has the highest nutritional value. Processing and cooking of food makes it less healthy, generally speaking. Lycopene in a tomato is really more activated by heat, so cooking tomatoes is a good thing. You want to select a variety of colors to your food. Those colors have antioxidant capabilities. What I found to be most helpful is the time at which you consume your foods. I do intermittent fasting on most days. For me, that means I generally don't eat any food before 1 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon and will finish eating no later generally than 8 o'clock at night. I'm looking for, say, 12 to 13 hours of fasting so that my body can digest the food, process it, and my body can do healing as needed. I have friends who do the intermittent fasting, but they will eat first thing in the morning and they stop eating at four o'clock in the afternoon. So you find something that works for you. The other thing to consider with in the nutritional area is doing a fast once a week or once a month. This allows your body to rest from processing all the, the food that you eat. Now, our farmland isn't as productive as it used to be. It doesn't have the same level of nutrition, nutrients, minerals, vitamins, and this is well known. So if you can have a garden where you can grow some fresh greens, some peas, tomatoes, you get to decide how they grow, where they grow, and what you put on them to help them grow and, and be as nutritious as possible. Unless you have a problem with a specific food substance, a food with a food group, carbs aren't evil, protein isn't evil, fats aren't evil. What you want is a good balance. 
And that's something that you get to determine. I like all sorts of food. I love seafood. I love Italian. I love Mexican. I like Chinese, like Japanese foods. One thing I found for myself is I have to watch the amount of packaged food, heavily processed food, food that has a lot of sugar added to it. The food industry learned a long time ago that the more sugar they put into any kind of food, the more we will buy it as consumers. One time I was looking at a can of beans and the ingredients had sugar added. And I was like, what? Why do you have to add sugar to a can of beans? Another issue in nutrition is dealing with preservatives, pesticides, herbicides that are on food. The Environmental Working Group publishes a list of the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. The Clean 15 are vegetables and fruits that you can purchase that are low in residue from herbicides and pesticides, and you don't need to buy the organic version. Another consideration is in dealing with canned foods. The lining of most cans has BPA in it, and unless it says it's BPA-free and B PS-free, I rinse all of my beans and canned foods with water and let them soak for 15 to 20 minutes to use the process of osmosis to lower the BPA. Now, the reason I do that is BPA and BPS are because they are endocrine disruptors. They resemble estrogen in the body. The human body is made to use carbohydrates, fats, and proteins for certain functions and processes. Just think of trying to put diesel fuel in a regular car. It's not going to work so well. So it's to find a balanced diet with the foods that work with your body and allow you to live the life that you want to live and allow you to do the things you want to do. To my diet... I do add some vitamins and minerals, nutritional supplements, a variety of teas that I make so that I can be the healthiest person possible. Now, the second step to good health is exercise. And I can hear some people groaning already. Exercise stimulates the mind, it stimulates the muscles, and it improves the overall quality of your life. You want to do something that is going to elevate your heart rate, break a sweat for a few minutes at least, and you want to do different kinds of exercise. One of my favorite things to do is hiking, which is just walking with a varied terrain. I have a park about 15 minutes away next to a river. It has some pretty steep hills. It has flat areas. It has, it has turns and bends and rolling hills. Walking there gets my heart rate up. It puts, it's a good aerobic exercise and it strengthens my legs. And if I'm using walking poles, it helps my arms. So I think walking is the best exercise that anybody can do because you get to determine how fast or how slow and the terrain that you're going to do. Even just a walk around your neighborhood does wonders for the body and mind. You don't need equipment. You don't need fancy videos. A decent pair of shoes is very helpful. Certified coach or trainer can be helpful if you're doing something new to make sure that you're doing it properly. The thing here is that you want to start doing something. 
If you can't do it for 10 minutes, do it for five minutes. And somewhere in the middle of that five minutes, do it really hard. Do it really fast to elevate your heart rate and then slow down. That would be called interval training. And there are the standard, take the stairs instead of the elevator. If you can ride a bike and enjoy biking, bike to work or school, park further away when you're at the store. One thing that you might want to add to your exercise routine is stretching. I've always been very flexible, but recently I tweaked my knee. But as the knee was getting better, apparently, or overcompensating, and got my hip somewhat out of alignment. So I am doing some stretching exercises to open up the hip and stretch the groin. So a few minutes stretching before exercise and a few minutes of stretching after your exercise is ideal. But you have to figure out what works best for you. Maybe riding a bike is better for you. Playing tennis, pickleball, basketball, roller skating, rollerblading. There are all sorts of activities that you can participate in. You just have to make the decision that that's what you're going to do and then take action and do it. Now, I stay as far away from the doctor as possible. That's what works for me. So if you're really out of shape and you don't feel good, you want to check with your doctor, physician, nurse practitioner, your health care provider, so they can provide you with some guidance. The third step that I'm going to cover today is rest. Getting enough sleep is very problematic for most people. I generally have at least one night every 60 days where I don't sleep. I don't know why I don't sleep, I just don't. And we all need time away from our work, our job, our house, our home, where we can just rest and relax. Good sleep, rest and relaxation decrease stress, boosts your mental function, and allows time for friendships and relationships. Research shows that seven to eight hours of sleep is the best level, the best amount. Lack of sleep compromises the brain's mental and physical abilities. We're prone to making more mistakes. It decreases willpower to make the right decisions. Good old Ben Franklin said, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Part of that is a problem for me because I'm a night person. I've been a night person all of my life. Though I do make an effort to go to bed earlier than I would generally like to go to bed. On the sleeping front, you want your room to be a little bit cooler. You want the room to be dark and no electronics, no phone, no television. Both of those are things that distract from sleep. I read a study about 10 years ago and it said that people who wore socks slept better. I thought that was interesting, so I did an experiment and I started wearing socks at night, and I did sleep better. So that might be something worth checking out for yourself. So three of the steps to good health are good nutrition, regular exercise, and getting the proper amount of rest and relaxation, which are all common sense and that everybody should be able to do to the best of your abilities. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, the topics that were included. My hope is that you will come back next week for another episode of Infinite Possibilities Abound. I'm your host, Debbie Wiesner. Have a wonderful day.